good. How are you? What's that? Yes. Let's do it. All right. All right, everybody. Good to see everybody today. So, uh, you know, unfortunately for you, the, the person who was supposed to give the talk today was unable to, so you're stuck with me. But uh, I will do my best, and uh, please indulge me and pray for me. Uh, so uh, the title of today's talk, for those of you born in the 80s, and alive during the 90s is called, and now it's time for a breakdown. And most, most people in that age group will know what song that's from. But anyways, the subtitle is the more important part, which is <clears throat> the battle for a less complicated spiritual life. And, you know, as in most cases, this is something that uh, has kind of presented itself in, in my life uh, and something that I've struggled with. Uh, hence the the battle, uh, and we'll get into exactly w what I mean about that. I'm going to share a little bit with you guys about just kind of how I got here, and uh, I'm not going to go too long with this, but the reason for doing this is just a familiarity that many of us probably have with this kind of history getting to the point where we are right now. So. I grew up in a traditional Coptic church in Chicago, or the suburbs of Chicago, St. Mary's, uh, and uh, it was a very tight-knit community, a very, you know, loving community, um, and, but also a very traditional community with a generous amount of uh, cultural overlay, uh, which is expected. It's an, it was an immigrant church. Everybody had 
mo most of the, the parents there had immigrated from Egypt and landed in Chicago. And so they brought a little piece of Egypt with them to Chicago. And the church was one of the places where that found its roots. And it was, it was actually lovely. It was, it was very nice uh, for, uh, for, for me growing up to be in a very tight-knit community. I grew up in a, a Jewish neighborhood, and I was like the only kid who didn't have a bar mitzvah. So, you know, having a community where I could go to and find uh, a commonality or a common bond was, was really important and really shaped who I became. Um, it was mostly a happy and peaceful church. Uh, there, there were some issues, you know, like that tend to creep into churches from time to time, the politics, the, the chest puffing, you know, people coming over and feeling they needed to assert themselves as, you know, a sub-boss of the church, you know, having their voice heard, making sure that things were going the way that they wanted to, and some of them were big donors and said, well, you know, I'm donating a lot to this church, so things should be going the way that so some of that crept in, but uh, for the most part, it was, it was a happy, peaceful place. Um, and there were some culture wars. Uh, my generation, the kids born in the U.S. and kind of fighting some of what was being brought over that was different. So there was some tension there, but it was, nat it was natural. It's expected. Happens in every immigrant community, I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, there was exclusivity. You looked in the pews of the church and, you know, your skin tone matched everybody's skin tone. There was very few people from outside of the church or outside of the Coptic community who were attending church. There'd be a few here and there, but for the most part, it was, it was a very homogenous Coptic community. And, I mean, stop me if this doesn't sound familiar to a lot of the people sitting here, right? These are essentially the churches we grew up in. Um, for better or for worse, and I'm going to say for the most part for better, but there are some for worse parts, right? So, um, the, the pro oh, and that was, uh, that was a picture of me in that fancy sweater with Papa Abba Shenouda III, and that was my two younger sisters and father. I actually don't know who that lady was, which is a little bit sus, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure she was very pious and part of the family, but... <laughs> And that was the church I grew up in. That was St. Mary's in Chicago. Ashraf, I'm sure, has been there. Mahgaino has been there. So Jacob was baptized there. So then, so then, like others, I left the nest, you know, spent some time in Seattle for a couple years, St. George up there. It was a great church community at the time. I hear things are, you know, but... Uh, and then a year in L.A., so I went to St. Peter and Paul. That's how I got introduced to Sherry through her cousin. Um, and then uh, <laughs> within a year, we, I, I stole her and moved to Madison, Wisconsin, which is that church building up there at the top, tiny church, maybe like 20 families max. Like, it was a very tiny community. Um, and, uh, and then after the five years in Wisconsin, we moved out here. And we landed at St. Paul's. And we got married there. You know, that was St. John, West Covina. Uh, but that's my, that's my little history, okay? So, move to the present day. And I think about uh, where I am spiritually. 
uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of good, uh, a lot of it from this church, a lot of that have benefited from the clergy in this church, a lot have benefited from the, the friends I've made here, the, the brothers and the sisters, I'd call them, that I've, that I've made here. A very, uh, to me, was a very welcoming community, a very uh, kind of new community, a little bit different. Some of the cultural stuff was, was not totally vanquished, but a lot of it was kind of uh, lessened. Um, you know, my, my own spiritual life, there's a lot of trial and error, uh, a lot of, you know, I hope I'm doing this the right way, but I'm not sure if I'm doing this the right way. You get guidance from your spiritual fathers and your friends and uh, people who you trust. Um, but to be honest, things seem to get more complicated. So the more I, quote-unquote, learned about my faith, the more complicated it seemed. I was kind of, you know, reading this church father, reading that church father, having conversations with friends about certain things, uh, certain things we liked about our church, certain things we didn't like about, our, you know, the, the, the church. And some of this has come up in some of the other adult lessons, some of the things that we've seen drive some of the youth away from the church. But I want to say, for the most part, you know, change happens very slowly, right? And so as change happens very slowly, you know, we're, we're actually in a, in, a, in a pretty good place, but it's more complicated. You know, the, the more we feel ownership over our church and our faith, the more that we struggle with uh, certain questions. So, you know, some of these questions for the American Orthodox Church are, what does that mean? What does it mean to be an American Orthodox Church? And there was definitely a vision set forth by Amba Serapion, and I think for the most part it's following that, but there's still some vagueness as to what exactly it means to be an American Orthodox Church, right? Um, what is our identity as a church? Are we a church that is, you know, there's some churches out there, like you look at Christ the Good Shepherd, that are more out-of-the-walls ministry churches, right? Then you have some traditional churches that, that a lot of the immigrants wind up at. Then you have some of these hybrid churches, and then there's like the St. Paul's where you know, we try, try to be uh, as welcoming as possible to, to those outside of our walls, but, like, what are we actually doing, right? Um, so we ask the questions, what are we doing well? And there's a lot that we're doing well. Uh, we ask, what are we not doing well, and how do we fix that? And then, where do we go from here, right? So all these are important questions, and a lot of these stuff were coming up, and I was starting to have more and more conversations with my friends and the priests and all that stuff about, about all these topics, right? So, uh, but then, you know, I go to, I go to, to the, the family and me, and I'm asking similar questions about the family and me. You know, how am I doing spiritually? How, how are my kids doing spiritually? Um, Am I doing well as a husband? Am I doing well as a father? Um, why do I still struggle with sins A, B, and C for like the last 20 years of my life? You know, shouldn't I be moving beyond this? Shouldn't I be growing, so to speak? Like, you know, um, and then why do I still have some lingering unanswered spiritual questions, right? That we all have them, uh, whether in your life it seeps in as doubt or whatever the case may be, there's always some lingering spiritual questions. So things got a little bit more complicated from when I was a young boy at St. Mary's in Chicago. I kind of 
took it as it came, and I went to church, and I knew I loved God, but it wasn't really much more complicated than that, and that, that, was, that was that. And so, you know, it stirs up commotion and anger, and it's like, it's like you know, you just want to scream and say, like, ah, why is this so complicated all the time? And that was a happy day for James, but anyways, that's... Um, So then there was the campfire. So we went to a retreat last weekend, and a lot of these questions were kind of buzzing around, and we were thinking about them. And then we went on the last night we were there, we went to this campfire, and a group of us had a chance to speak with uh, Abuna Karolas and Abuna Andrew and with each other about some of these things, some of these complicating issues, some of the things that we are bringing up. And by the way, these things are good things to bring up. We want to know what we're doing well and how we can do better. We want to know things that are deficient and what we can do to fix those things. But then Abuna Kurulus, in his wisdom, as he often does, said something that really struck me. And he was saying, you know, what I miss about Egypt is when I went to the church in Egypt and things, and I just saw a simplicity of the faith there. It's not an ignorance or a naivete. It's a simplicity of the faith there. The people there just believe in God. They just want to encourage community. They just want to love God. They just want to uh, love their neighbor. And there's some simplicity in, in some of the older churches, especially in the, the older crowd, the Tetas and Giddos, where you just see this natural, beautiful simplicity. If somebody needs a miracle, they know it's going to happen. If somebody has something that's causing anxiety in their life, they pray about it. If somebody loses something, they pray about it to find it, right? There's a simplicity of the faith there that doesn't exist in our complicated Orange County churches. And, and so that really, really struck me because it's so important to maintain that simplicity, and we'll go over why that is. Um, but... But I paused. I, I was like going 90 miles per hour and Abuna stopped me on a dime. And it was, it was very powerful and very poignant to me. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad he said something because I was losing that idea of simplicity, right? Um, Abuna Kirillus also tells this story about Saint, uh, Saint uh, John Vinay, who is a Catholic priest. Uh, and he had a parishioner who he just noticed every, he loves to tell this story, and I love to tell this story too, because it's, it's a, it's a, it kind of fits with this. He says, there was a, a guy in the back of the church, the priest would come in, he'd see the, the guy every day, and the guy's just sitting there, not doing anything. He's sitting there silent, just looking with like a glaze at, at a crucifix or the altar or, the, or the, what was being prepared for communion, and then he'd leave. And he'd do this every day, every day. And the priest is like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, wh what's with this? Why do you come in every day and just sit there, not really hearing him pray or anything like that, just looking? And the, the man responds, I look at him and he looks at me. That's like so powerful, right? Just think about the simplicity of that faith. It's enough just to look at Christ, right? to look at this image of Christ on, on the altar or above the altar. And it's just very, it's very beautiful to think about 
about that simplicity of faith. And we know people who do this, right? The, the, you know, I mentioned the tetas and giddos that, that we all know who just come into the church, sit quietly, look at the altar, and you just feel a serenity or peace about them, right? And this was one of the things that I, I thought about is like, why, why do we always complicate things? Like, like in, the end, in, in the end, and I'm probably going to get, you know, evicted for this, but like, in the end, does it really matter? Like, if we completely understand the, 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 the humanity and divinity of Christ, like the whole EO versus Oriental Orthodox debate, is that, is that what God is going to base salvation on? If I have a firm understanding of that, like, stipulation, right, between the two churches, is that what's going to make the difference? You know, as a, as a lay person, my answer to that is probably not. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think that God wants all of us to be with him. I think God wants as many of us as possible to be with him to attain salvation. So if you're going, you know, you learn about this least common denominator, right? If you're trying to teach to the least common denominator, are you going to make things overly complicated and difficult for people to attain? Or are you going to simplify things and make it accessible to the masses? And I got to believe that God wants, this, wants him accessible to the masses. I don't think he wants a complicated uh, theorem to be what guides salvation or not salvation, right? And so there's, God himself is forwarding this idea of simplicity of faith. And we'll, we'll, we'll point out where he does this. And he does it very clearly. So simple is not naive. It's not infantile. It's not blind faith. It's not basic. It's not uneducated. It's not easy. And it's not lazy, right? So these are some of the things that that a simple faith is not. Some people assume just because you have a simple faith, you're not learned or whatever. For some people, that's their way to salvation, reading the church fathers, understanding what the church fathers are teaching them. Some, some people need to go to something like Acts and study and learn about their faith, you know, whether it's apologetics or whatever the case may be. But they still may have a very simple faith, a very simple faith life, right? It's not, it's not exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive things, right? So, um, I have a very simple life. So, simple, simple can be difficult, right? Some of us are wired to have these complicated thought processes, right? So, simplifying our brains and turning off the, the brain, turning it from, like, a supercomputer into, like, the Apple IIgs is, like, you know... It, it takes work. You have to actually work to calm the noise in your head saying like, no, I need to know, I need to understand this theology. I need to understand why this isn't working. I need to understand why the priests do this. I need to understand why, you know, I've been struggling with this sin for 30 years and can't kick it, right? There's, we, we tend to complicate things and part of it is, part of, for, for many of us, it's very difficult to silence that compulsion to make things difficult, right? Um, Simple, simple faith can be profound, can be aware, advanced, learned, difficult, and active. So this active process of weaning out all the noise can be important. So where does God talk about this? Where, where in the Gospels is, is, does some of this come, come through? And, you know, picture the, the 12 disciples, you know, sitting there, 
wondering which of us is going to be the greatest among, among each other in heaven. I mean, like, you know, Jesus has to be sitting there. He's probably thinking to himself, like, really, guys? Like, this is the question you're asking at this point after all the miracles and after all the teaching and all that stuff? So he comes out and he says it very explicitly. He says, at the, and so the, the, the gospel passage is Matthew 18, verse 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as the children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Right? He's telling them to stop complicating things. So why does he compare them to a child? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we, com- why he, why we compare, why God wants the faith of a child. And so, like, what are those, what are those, uh, what are those issues? So, you know, children tend to lead with love, right? And I'm not talking about, like, the five- and six-year-old children. Like, I want you to think about, like, two-year-olds, right? Because five- and six-year-olds, like, most of the parents have already ruined them, so there's no hope, and we're all in despair together. But um, think of, like, a two-year-old, an unruined two-year-old. And Jonathan's two and some change, so we've already partially ruined him, but I still love him. But uh, so what what are the attributes of of a child, like a two-year-old child? They lead with love, right? You know, I I see the joy in his face when, you know, Sherry walks in the door after work. It's like, it's like, you know, it's literally like the Messiah has appeared in front of him. You know, for for him, for him it is. And that's, that's like, why can't we, when we see Christ, when we see God, why do we not approach him like that? It's the same relationship. You know, the world has ruined us a little bit, but we want to get back to that, that purity and that, that love that children show towards, towards their parents at, at a young age. Um, there's trust and confidence in God's work, and Pope Shenouda talks a lot about this in, uh, in some of his writings. Um, there's a trust that the child has, children have for their parents and people taking care of them. You know, you, you, you take a two-year-old with you say, Jonathan, let's go, let's go look at this. He'll come with you. He just trusts. He knows that you're taking somewhere safe, somewhere that's for his, for his good, and there's just a natural purity and simpleness inside of that trust, and we've lost that. We don't trust God the same way. When, when trouble comes, we become anxious, and we become anxious because we don't necessarily trust that God is going to carry us through whatever period of life or whatever troubles we have, I'm very guilty of this. I get very anxious with certain things, and I have doubts. I start to have doubts about, you know, where is God? Where, why is he not helping me? What, you know, how am I going to get through this? And I think if I had that just simple trust to recognize that God is going to do what is best for me, um, I, I wouldn't have that anxiety. I wouldn't have that, that, that complicated stirring in my soul saying, gosh, what, I've got to do something to, to get out of this, you know. Um, attachment, right? I mean, you, the other day, you know, we're sleeping, Jonathan comes into our room in the morning, and he, he jumps into bed with us. He looks at me, 
and he says, go. He basically kicked me out of my bed so he can hang out with Sherry. He's super attached to her, and I understand that, right? But are we attached to God in that same, in that same way? I think we almost look for excuses to, to, to dismiss God, to push him away sometimes. We, we look for, you know, whatever, you know, for, for some of us guys, whatever sporting event is, is available, whatever. We make excuses why we can't come to church sometimes, why we can't do this or that, you know, why we're not praying in the morning. There's a whole lot of excuse making, and we don't have that same childlike attachment to God that I wish I had, right? I wish I had like, I need to see God first thing in the morning or else my day's not complete, you know? I need to, you know, kick whoever out of bed so I can, you know, be there with God, right? So, like, it's, it's like, it's, it's really important for us to not forget this sense of attachment that children have towards God and to try to mimic it, you know, reattach yourself to God. Um, children also don't persist in anger. They get angry, right? Like, even Jonathan will get angry. James definitely will get angry, as you saw a picture of. But, like, that anger is oftentimes forgotten before it even started, you know, and a lot of children have that. And so, you know, we, we hold grudges as adults. We, I know adults who hold grudges for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and it's insane, right, over small things. Somebody looked at them the wrong way. Somebody said a comment to them the wrong way. Somebody did something to a friend of theirs they did the wrong way, and of course, they themselves have never done any of those things and never have done wrong towards anybody. Um, but we hold on to this spite and anger and resentment, and God wants us to be like the children. It's okay to be angry. It's a natural emotion. We can be angry, but forget it. Once it's happened, forget it. Forgive, right? And St. Jerome talks about that a lot when he's referencing actually this, this, this scripture about be, like, be, be as the children. And don't desire to remember the injuries that are suffered. It's very, very similar. But, um, you know, if, if something has gone wrong in your life, you know, there's, there's you know, it, it, it's a double-edged sword when you hear it happened for a reason because half the time you're like, really, what could, good could have come of, kind of, come of this? This is, this is bad. But... But try to trust in God and try to not remember the, the injuries you've suffered. It's, it's kind of very similar to the last point. So, so then, you know, what does God expect to us? If, if there's a simple formula for all of this, he must have said it somewhere, right? He couldn't have... He couldn't have, it couldn't be simple, and he just would have left us with, with, without all of it. So the entire Old Testament, there's rules and regulations and do this, don't do this, on this day, don't do that day. You know, the whole ministry of Christ is a lesson in simplicity. He met people where they were. This is one of the things I actually love about the, the series The Chosen, is it does a really nice job of emphasizing the relational aspect of Jesus. He met people where they were, and he loved God. He, in, in that show, it shows that he loved God and he loved his neighbor, right? And that's the greatest commandment. They, the Pharisees ask Christ point blank, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And then the next, which is also great, is to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And that's it, people. Like, really. Like, there's a lot of complicating things that we insert into our faith, into our religion, into our spiritual lives. And that stuff may be helpful in some cases, may serve to push us closer to God. But if it's not, I'd say simplify things, right? Get, get down to the simple. Love God and love your neighbor. And it's really, it's, it's really that simple. And I think, you know, there's a reason why on his last moments with his disciples before he took the, was, was on the cross, Christ talked about, you know, love one another as I have loved you, right? That's really the last thing he says to them before he's, he's taken into custody, right? So these are simple things and these are simple points of our faith that we have to hold above all. So, you know, I guess the take-home message for this talk really... Oh, and then there's this, this um, quote from St. Seraphim of Serab that I love, which is, Acquire the spirit of peace and thousands around you will be saved. We have all these worries about our church, right? Like things we want to improve or make better, solve. Um, but, you know, sometimes we have to just look at ourselves and, and make sure that we're right within, you know, that we, that we are, that, that we're, we're good followers of Christ, that we are loving God, that we are loving each other. And I think we've all seen people in our lives when we see that person who is super peaceful, super kind, super in love with God, though just being around that person has an effect on your spiritual life. And I think that's kind of what St. Seraphim was talking about. And then finally, you don't have to look too far, right? So you don't have to, you don't have to look too far to find these examples in our life of simplicity. Um, for me, the early, the early example was my mother. And uh, that's when... I was much better looking and much younger, but, uh, um, you know, I look at her. She had a very simple faith. It wasn't complicated. She was not a high theologian, uh, but she loved God, and I saw that every day, and she loved her neighbor, and I saw that every day. I'd come home uh, from college, and I'd see some teenage girl sitting on the couch with her, spilling her guts to her. I'm like, what is going on here, you know? It's like, it's like why is this teenager spending time with this 50-year-old woman you know, spilling their guts, and, and it's because she loved them, and they knew that she loved them. So that was my early example of, of that simple faith, that childlike faith, where you just loved God and you loved your neighbor. Um, for many in this congregation, Tunt Samira was an example of that, right? I didn't know her personally, but I know from listening to other people's experiences with her, including Abuna Krolos, that she was a very special woman, and a, a, a woman who had a very simple faith. Simple does not mean unlearned. It does not mean uncomplicated, or it doesn't mean unadvanced. Uh, it just means simple. It's, she, she, she relied on the, the basics. We see that in the monks in the desert. A lot of what they've done is decided to uncomplicate their lives in some ways and head to the desert so that they can be immersed in this, um, this attachment to God, this love, love for God. Um, saint Therese of Lisieux uh, is, is a Catholic saint who always forwarded the simple it's called the, the, the simple way or the, the little way the little way is what it was called and this is just really looking at the beauty of, of the things around her looking at love, looking at her love of God looking at her love of, of the people around her um, 
And, you know, then we look at our kids, right? They're reminders for us at times of this simplicity of faith. They don't know, you know, what the first or second ecumenical councils were about, but there are times in the older ones that we can see this love of God and love of neighbor and love of friend, um, and certainly in the younger ones. So this is kind of um, what I wanted to present today, just, um, you know, because it's something that has uh, struck me as, uh, as important in my own spiritual life. I know that a lot of us have very similar journeys in terms of where we grew up, how we grew up, the churches we grew up in, and where we wound up. Um, so that's, that's all I have. But I'd love to hear thoughts on this, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, so let me know. Dennis. Uh, a lot of times our ego gets in the way because our lives are complicated. We want to see this happen. We want to see that happen. And we try our best to make it happen. If we just squash the ego, a lot of times for me, simplicity can definitely happen. Yeah, no, I think that's, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that was something that I had wanted to touch on but didn't. Um, I think humility is very important for that. And it allows it allows you to see God's everythingness and your nothingness, right? That's where we need to be, right? Like squash the you in it. And I think we've had some previous talks about, about that, you know, just like, like there, there isn't, there's a very close tie and correlation between humility and simplicity, for sure. Um, Dennis said it a lot better than... Uh, then I, I can say it because one of, one of the things I struggle with, Peter, and I'm so glad you touched on it, uh, is how can we explore the depth of our faith in a simple way? I, 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 react, I tend to react a little bit negatively to water down the message. That, that's not what you're saying, but you hear this a lot. Water down the message because if you overcomplicate it, then uh, you sort of lose the message. But I do think our faith... Uh, is a deep and profound one, and one that we may not fully understand, uh, nor, nor did Christ expect uh, a lot of his disciples to fully understand. And he gave them hard messages. I mean, even, even the idea of love, love your enemies, that's a hard message. How do we understand that? Or when he says, I, you know, I am the bread of life, and his disciples, you know, walk away from that. You know, and he says, well, do you want to leave too? You know, to St. Peter, and he says, where should I go? And Abuna Kurlis once pointed out, well, he never even really got an answer, St. Peter. He, he just says, you have the words of life, and, you know, Christ says, okay. <laughs> you know, but he never explained. Yeah. So I guess, I guess my question is, and I like what Dennis is saying, is, is there a way to really explore the depths of our faith, hard concepts, the Trinity, the full humanity of Christ, the full divinity of Christ? What does it mean to love our enemies what does it mean to have grace mm -hmm. like w without falling into this over complication to the point where ego gets in the way mm -hmm. so yeah. I, I don't know I, I i think that's a fair fair question i mean remember when we were talking about or when i was talking about this is it's not simplicity is not unlearned it's not naive it's not dumb right 
some people say like, oh, well, I don't want to have like just an ignorant faith. I want to try to understand this stuff. Some people need that. Some people don't, right? Um, what I would, would say is that, you know, I think about, I think about relationships like mar- marital relationships, right? I could shop a bride and I can read all about her, right? Her f- profile, what she likes to do, what kind of things she is but I'm not going to know her until I actually spend time with her, right? So my, my, um, my rebuttal to that is, is kind of whatever way you spend time with God, do it, right? That's the, that's the simplicity of it. You don't, I, I, I know you, and I know you don't read just to intellectually understand what is behind your faith. I know you read to know God. And that's, that's still a simple faith, right? That's how it comes to you, right? Some people, like the guy sitting in the back of the church, just needs to sit in silence with God. Some people need to s- sing hymns. That's their way to experiencing God. Some people need to dress as deacons. Some people need to sweep the church floor. Some people need to go feed the homeless, um, but that's how they find God. It's a simplicity of faith, but the, the root of it is the same. It's the pursuit of God, the attachedness to God out of love for him and out of love for man. So it's not, it's not, um, it's not a one-size-fits-all prescriptive. It's, it's really, um, it, you know, we know God is a personal God and a relational God, and so he meets us where we are. But if you find yourself complicating things, do something to get back to, to, to what brought you to your first love, right? I just wanted to add to that, like, you, because I, I, I struggle with this too, where I go so much in the academia, and then I have to step back and say, wait, this is just an offering to God. He already knows all this, he has all this, but we have to remember that in how we approach God, academia could be your personality. That, that like, if you're an intellectual and that's how you find your way to God, that's what you're offering to God. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Henry. I mean, I, I hate to do this to you, but I, you know, a lot of times when I'm thinking about this, I'm actually thinking somewhat about you because, like, of all the people I know, of, no, of all the people I know, like, you study, you've got degrees in this stuff, but I also, like, admire the simplicity of your faith. Like, I... I many times say to myself, like, I don't know someone more genuine than Henry, you know, more love, like, just in love with God and his fellow man than you. And so, like, you to me, and sorry to do this, but, like, I I see a lot of that beautiful simplicity of faith, but not naive, not ignorant, not unlearned, and and that's a a wonderful example for me uh, about what that can mean, so. Thank you, Peter. That's very sweet of you. I just wanted to second that about Henry. No, I'm just joking. Do we, have, do we have a third so we can write it in the books? <laughs> it is now dogma. I, I, I wanted to just comment on the question that was asked, which I thought was, was an excellent question, and then the answer that you gave, which I thought was equally excellent answer. Uh, but I just wanted to add one, just one word, uh, and that word is intimacy. So I think sometimes we a way to think about it is intimacy with God. 
And what God wants from us, what his deep desire for us, just like any parent's desire for their child or any uh, spouse's desire for their, for their spouse is intimacy. Um, so I think with intimacy, there is an understanding and a depth. So God, you know, as David said, I meditate on his words daily, as it says in the book of Joshua, it says, keep these commandments and meditate on them daily. So there's so much depth and the depths of God's greatness can not be fathomed. Um, but it doesn't mean we don't try. But the reason we try is because of the simplicity of wanting intimacy with him. So if all of these things are directed towards whatever it is, like you mentioned, hymns or, uh, or some kind of service or whatever it is, but the end goal is intimacy with Christ. Thank you. Any other thoughts? All right, I think we can pray.